Hello everyone and welcome to Changing Conversations with me, Billy Burke. And me, Sarah Philp. We're really glad you've joined us on this podcast. This podcast is all about changing conversation. Conversation is one of the oldest ways to nurture the conditions for growth and improvement. We come alive when we talk about what's important to us and it's this that has the potential to guide us into new and different ways of being and offer the potential for great things. In this podcast, we want to explore the big questions and the small questions. It's a place for thinking and conversations that hold the potential for change. You will hear from us as well as some of our guests. We would love to hear from you and for you to get involved. You can also follow us on Twitter at Changing Conversations. When we hear the term the buzz, I'm sure images, sounds, feelings spring to mind. We know when we've experienced it and we definitely know when it's been lacking. Tracy helps us to understand the architecture of the buzz and therefore how we can create that buzz in our own settings. As Tracy says, culture exists whether you want it or not, whether you're intentional or not. So digging into the work around the buzz gives us the opportunity to be a lot more intentional about how we nurture that committed collaboration across our teams, across our organisations. It's always a pleasure to come back and have another conversation with one of our podcast guests. So thanks to Tracy for giving up more time to talk all things the buzz. I've also put in the episode notes the links to um, the TED talk that she mentions. Enjoy. Tracy, it's lovely to see you again. How are you? I was going to say this morning, of course, because it's my morning, but it's your evening. So how's your day been? <laughs> my day has been great. Thanks, Sarah. I've had lots of really great conversations with people. And uh, I know that uh, we did. We talked about ferocious warmth last time and I just had my last session with uh, eight ferocious warmth women doing a mentoring group that we've been doing. And just to hear them talking about, I don't know, their growth, their courage, what they do in their leadership in their schools it's just been so heartwarming so I come to you with a very full heart this afternoon excellent good good well let's let's hope we can continue that theme as we explore another one of your your books and another kind of area of your work and as I was saying to you a few minutes ago um after Ferocious Warmth a number of people went on to read um The Buzz and let me know that they were reading it and really enjoying it so I was keen that we had the opportunity to come back and have another conversation about that and of course the word or the words the buzz gives me a certain image and sense and feeling um when I hear it but but what is it what what is it in terms of your work and, and your your research tell us a bit more about well it's just you know it's it's that that vibe that you get you know we've got a very famous Australian movie called The Castle and you know in it it's it that they talk about the vibe when they're trying to articulate something and I when you know for a long time working in schools after I left schools I was working with them around leadership and team and culture I just kept on getting this real feeling how do I unpack that vibe you know and it's a vibe where there's just this exciting palpable energy about the work and it's about the collective work. It's about the combination that we have together. Um, and, and there's this sense of warmth and connection. So it's very linked, you know, Ferocious Warmth obviously came out of that around the leadership to build that. 
But when there's a buzz in the school, it's it's about we are in this together and we know it's complex work. We know it's work that requires us to really dig in deep around what we're doing and how we're doing it. We know it requires us to have this open to learning mindset where we're willing to change and be responsive and, and focus on what needs to focus. But we do it in a way that's exciting and that's motivating and it's um, it's got an energy to it. Um, and I'm sure, you know, many of the people listening uh, can think of a culture where they've had that and then one that they haven't. <laughs> and so the buzz is all about what's the difference between the one, one, ones that do have it and ones that don't. Yeah. And, and as you were talking, it was exactly that that I was thinking of, that sometimes some of these things, and I often think trust is a similar one. We know when we don't have it and we know how hard it is when we don't have it. But it, it can almost seem like um, something magical or mythical that you can't quite touch and can't quite kind of grasp a hold of when you don't have it. And I think that's what's interesting about what you've done is you've really kind of unpacked it as you said in order to understand how to build it yeah absolutely and that trust piece is such an important part of it uh because we're talking a really deep professional trust aren't we when we're talking about the work that we do in schools it's yeah. it's that collective vulnerability that yeah. says let's put our practice out on the table and so that's the nuance that I think often we have in schools that might not be as prevalent in other sectors is our the 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 deep understanding we have that collective efficacy yeah. is critical to us being um, uh, providing the sort of education that's going to help our students thrive now and in the future. Yeah, you've you used the word energy quite a few times, and I think um, you know just reflecting on the last few years that we've all experienced and kind of lived through. Mm. I think energy. Energy is, is one of those things that we've got less of in some ways <laughs> and more of in other ways, but it's also something we're more aware of and talk more about because I think it became more explicit for us during the last few years. Um, the schools and the, the organisations that you know where that buzz is strong, did they fare better during the last few years? Did they sustain their energy better or differently as a result of that, do you think? I, I do believe they did. The ones that I had a lot to do with through that time and beyond certainly found it challenging. I found that where there was strong professional trust and connection and um, how do we do this together, they managed to sustain through the long term of it. Mm -hmm. I think there were some places that worked really well at doing that at the start when we really, we just had to, right, we're going online. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're doing, you know, uh, let's do it and let's learn from each other and let's be in it together. But I found that the ones that really sustained through the long haul were the ones that had that really strong culture already because they were very mindful about what needs to go into culture. And I think this is the thing with culture. It's we have it, um, we have it whether we want it or not, whether we design it or not, whether we think about it or not, there is always a culture. And if we want our culture to be one that does help us thrive doing that tricky work that we do, mm. then having it as our consciousness, in, in our consciousness is important. So, mm. you know, I find, found that the schools that they deliberately made connection time, they deliberately set out time just to hang and chat. They deliberately had all these supports around when, when people were starting to sink a bit, how do we hold you up? 
And did everyone get it right? No, absolutely not. But the mindfulness of that really helped many schools fare a lot better than others that that didn't really put that mindfulness into it. Yeah, I think that's a really a really good point there you made. Culture, we have it whether we want it or not or we think about it or not. And actually, again, it's one of those things that can almost be um, hard to grasp a hold of because it's so many different things and it's but it's also so pervasive. But you're like, well, how can, why can't I hold that? Why can't I pick that up and put it down somewhere else? Absolutely. And context matters, doesn't it? I'll often say that when I'm talking with leaders, you know, if you if you if you think you can go into another school or another environment and lead exactly the same way, you just get a real shock, don't you? Because all of a sudden you go, Well, the context isn't quite the same here. I need to actually I need to build skills in other areas or I need to focus far more on this area that I didn't need to worry about as much um in in perhaps another area. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of making me think of when when we interview we ask people about their leadership of course and of course their leadership is 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 key and is a really important part but yes absolutely the context influences and guides that or challenges that even as well yeah yeah yeah. um and I think that um uh it, it comes back to that adaptability that we spoke about last time you know that ability to be able to move with the needs the responsiveness the who who are we as an individual you know um uh I was talking to someone today who was talking about the fact that they know with one person they have to go a lot more to the cognitive conversation uh to actually make that link and make that connection with them whereas the person they might speak to 10 minutes later it's far more about the heart it's far more about the emotional connection that's important to focus on because that gives the other person that trust and that connection that they need and I think it's our ability as cultural leaders to be able to understand that nuance yeah yeah one of the things um you talk about in the buzz is that the this idea of learning intelligence at three levels so the self the team and the school how are they similar or different how do they connect uh well if you think about your own learning intelligence you know it's really that classic growth mindset stuff you know that we talk about and the the great label of that that professor carol dweck gave um of you know, am I open to learning? Am I open to challenge? Am I open to getting out of my comfort zone and really being curious and expanding and persevering when it's hard? And um, I, you know, I've done this work for a long time and I, we can't just say just because we're educators, we've got it. Yeah. I think <laughs> we can kid ourselves because we know that we, we, we're not one or the other. We're not growth or fixed mindset. We move between them. You know, that's what uh, things things are going to push our buttons and we're going to get dig our feet in and we're not going to be open to thinking and influence and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to, oh, sorry, my, my dog's brought in a squeaky toy. So <laughs> uh, I don't know whether the podcast people, I hope you're okay with that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, our learning intelligence is what do I bring to the table? And, you know, when I work with schools around their culture, that's where we'll always start is what am I actually presenting as a, as a learner? in as an adult learner and um it I don't think it we should never take for granted that well of course we're educators so of course we're going to be learners because sometimes our behaviors 
absolutely say the opposite. (laughs) I'm resistant to change. I don't want to do things differently. Um, I'm hard to shift. Um, Unless it's the way I like it, then I'm not going to do it. And, you know, I think there's a bit more of that wanting safety since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, my call out to people has been, how do we get brave? And we were brave during that time, trying stuff out. Let's not go to our, 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 you know, our dunas and hide underneath them and go, let's just do it the way we used to do it. We've got to be brave and be be continuing to iterate what education looks like. So the, the I stuff is really important. Then what I bring to my team is how am I a contributor to us being able to be learners together? Mm-hmm. And for me, this is the shift between growth mindset and what I call the collective growth mindset. And I think they're two very different things. And for me, this is where the buzz starts coming in yeah. is to create a growth mindset as a collective, our, our need to trust and have psychological safety with each other just goes right up. Because if I'm going to be vulnerable enough to say to you, I really need help with this. I'm not, you know, I this is something right out of the way that I've usually worked and I've got to completely change the way that I look at the world. I need to really know that you've got me. Yeah. That And, and that I've got you and that we've got each other. And so our ability, our willingness to come to the table and support each other to right. be rigorous learners is critical. Mm-hmm. And I had someone ask me yesterday in um, a very big workshop, what if you've got someone at the table who just refuses to do that? They refuse to behave in ways that actually create that learning in what I call the collaborative master stock, you know, the real diversity, hot, sweet, salty, sour, all mixed in together. Mm-hmm. And And I think that's where as a team, We've got to be rigorously reflecting on what we personally bring. So the eye comes back in and then how we blend, how we work together and, and where 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 it is our dynamics yeah. need to actually support ourselves. Yeah. Then we move to the school, of course, and that is right across the board. How do we as a school see ourselves as a learning culture? Yeah. Um, and, again, I, w- I want to challenge the thought that we say, Oh, yeah, we're a school. Of course, we're a learning culture because, again, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we go, this is the way we do it and this is the way we work and we do it because that's the way we've always done it. And it's not actually evolving. We're staying in the status quo. Whereas when there is a real buzz at a school level, we're really clear around our strategy, our purpose, what we're trying to achieve, and we're always looking at improving. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about, I think it's James Clear in Atomic Habits talks about the fact that we all want transformation, but nobody wants to change. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> there was a, you know, years ago, there was that great cartoon of someone, um, you know, talking to a whole spread of people going, um, uh, what do we want? Change. Yeah. Who wants to change? And all the hands went down, you know, <laughs> it's just that classic, that classic thing. Look, I've done a buzz diagnostic with over 12,000 educators now and um, over 500 schools. And it asks a whole lot of I statements. So how do I contribute to the culture under the three pillars that I'm sure we'll talk about, mindset, environment, dialogue. So how do I contribute? And then it's as a school questions as well. So it's what do I bring? And then what's the collective? And Usually in these sort of self-reflections, we we mark ourselves right down compared to what other people see. Mm-hmm. But in this one, 
the results from the eye stuff is always a lot higher yeah. <laughs> than the school stuff. And it's because, you know, we as educators, we like to pride ourselves that we are open to feedback, that we are curious about new ways of working, that we are open to dialogue and having good, robust debate. Yeah. But sometimes we then go, but as a school, we're not. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really interesting dynamic that comes out of that diagnostic. We see ourselves as real contributors to this learning culture, yeah. but that the school hasn't necessarily nailed it. And that's sometimes that system, sometimes that's leadership, sometimes that's just a lack of self-awareness of what we actually need to bring to the table ourselves. Yeah. I guess it's that common tension we see where we can refer to the system or the organisation as almost something external to ourselves, but miss the fact that actually we are also the system or we are also the organisation. And it's that tension between the, the two, isn't it? It is. And, and it is that realisation that culture is made up of the smallest of moments that anyone in a culture has. Yeah. And yes, there are people of more influence within a culture, you know, um, uh, the, you know, the thinking around culture being it's the, the behaviours and the systems, but it's the behaviours of people with influence yeah. that people look to and say, this is the way we work around here. Yeah. You touched on them there, the, the three pillars of mindset, environment and, and dialogue. And of course, we talked about that in relation to ferocious warmth as well. But but take us through how those three support and enable the, the buzz. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, so there's the collective growth mindset that we talked about. So, you know, what are, what are we thinking in our heads? What are we, what, what is, are we open to learning? Do we have that learning intelligence? The next one is really impactful on that. And that is, do we have a compelling environment to learn together? Mm -hmm. So, and I see that on two levels. One is what's the energy that we have. So when we come together in our team meetings, you know, maybe we've had a long day of teaching. Yeah. Is it, do we like being together? Do we actually like each other? But also do we have this, this energy around our purpose of learning together? Yeah. And and so the the one of the parts of collect compelling environment is are people compelled to learn together or repelled? Mm. Um, is it frosty or is it warm and inviting? Do we are we curious with each other? Um, do we do we hold a good energy for each other? And then the other part of compelling environment is do we have good processes, protocols, um, norms? Do we do we have good um, purpose in our meetings? Have we got the right people around the table? Is there good um, uh, strategy around what we're doing? So if we go back to Ferocious Warmth, it's head and heart. Is yeah. do we have the heart stuff, the energy stuff around engagement happening? But also do we have the really good strategy around what we're trying to achieve? Yeah. And then the third one is, are we talking about the right stuff? So it's the authentic dialogue is the third frame of it. Mm -hmm. Are we talking or, or do we just, you know, in a culture of nice, we just do stuff because we're, we're doing the right things, but um, we sort of don't go near my practice, you know. I really like you. You're a really nice person. We talk on Monday about what we did on the weekend and we know each other's kids and all that sort of stuff, but don't go near my teaching practice. Yeah. And so for me, that's we have a superficial dialogue. We don't have the deep, authentic dialogue that a professional learning culture needs, which yeah. is about how do I build relationships with students? How do I, what's the pedagogy that's actually going to really help this student move? Are we looking at our data and diving deep into it and making a difference to how we're teaching to get the results we're after? 
Um, all of that is authentic dialogue. And so the three really work together because, you know, our mindset is so affected by our environments, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know whether you've ever worked, I've worked with some schools where you can see people are just so jaded. They're yeah. so, they're over it because they've had uh, just a lot of stuff that has not been very well led or there's been it's been really challenging times and everyone's exhausted. And so the environment becomes very drained. And yeah. So it's really hard to pick ourselves up. And so our mindset gets affected. Um, and then our dialogue gets, uh, the conversation, the quality of the conversation gets affected. Mm. I always believe that you can test, you can test a, a culture by the quality of the conversations. And I guess that's where trust comes back in again, doesn't it? Because we need that trust to take a risk in a conversation, to have that yeah. vulnerability, to be open to looking at our practice. Absolutely. And it, and it really comes to the, the concept that's really very strong now that we know about, which the, the mindset and the, the environment overlap in the Venn diagram of the buzz is psychological safety. Yeah. And, you know, psychological safety is all about that ability to create a culture where it's safe for me to take a risk with you or yeah. my whole team or the whole staff. It's safe for me to, to um, speak and have a voice. And there, I think there are too many teams where there are people that don't feel safe to have a voice because of past experiences. Yeah. Um, and psychological safety means I can trust, I can absolutely trust that I can say something that might be left field and just be wondering about something. I won't be belittled, I won't be shamed, I won't be embarrassed. And, you know, if people listening want to find out more about that, I talk about those in, in my books, especially in Ferocious Warmth. But have a look at Professor Amy Edmondson's work from Harvard. She's yeah. got a great TED Talk, 1999 she did it, but it's really relevant. She works in this space around learning cultures all the time. But also Timothy R. Clark and his four stages of psychological safety. Really great. Lots of research behind both of them. And I use both of them to sort of support the evidence base around what does this look like? Um, and, you know, so psychologically safe cultures are not about people just being safe and cosy. They're not about that at all. Yeah. They're about high challenge, high support. They're about rigor. They're about how do we push the status quo? How do we have good challenging conversations? But some places haven't even got what Timothy Clark would say the first level is inclusion safety, which says, I feel that I belong. Mm -hmm. yeah. so it's a it's a big one and it's a it's really nested in the middle of the buzz is what's the safety we've got here to be deep learners and to be collectively vulnerable together all of that also creates that safety for our children and young people in our school and communities as well and, and and in fact their families absolutely and it models so much to them doesn't it around yeah. around what it really looks like to be a curious learner and to be always uh, you know, seeking to know more, think more, do more, um, be aspirational. I think, yeah. you know, uh, I, I think we really should challenge ourselves around are we really modelling learning to our students? Mm. That's a good question too. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? Um, yeah. I think the most kind of common or most tangible way to think about that is often around making mistakes. So we will often yeah. talk to our younger learners about it's okay to make a mistake and it's part of learning and we can we can all kind of repeat the phrases that go with that. And then as adults, we hate it when we make a mistake Absolutely. and it's like devastation. <laughs> Absolutely. It's one of the first things that I'll talk to a, a crew about when we start doing this work is, you know, how do you treat yourself when you stuff up? 
Do yeah. you treat yourself with compassion and say, well, that was a, you know, I mucked that one up. What did I learn from it? Or do you treat yourself with shame and just say I'm a failure? And we have been coded to be right as educators. And that's where, you know, the world is changing. Education yeah. is changing. We we need to go, I don't know whether I'm right because this is complex. Yeah. And so how do I step into a not knowing space and be a learner who's a leader and a teacher and an expert who's learning, not one that's learned. Yeah. Yeah. And and when we can model that, I get people to just have a bit of fun around making mistakes, you know. Um, how do we just turn it into a bit of lightness? Uh, this is when we stuff up, actually there's opportunity rather than when we stuff up, we hide it. It's where a lot of Amy Edmondson's um, research first came from. She started looking at high-performance teams in health organisations yeah. and her research assumption hypothesis was that high-performing teams make less mistakes mm -hmm. but when they did the research she actually found the opposite yeah which is that low-performance teams actually hide mistakes yeah. because they haven't got that safety to explore and learn from them mm. high-performance teams actually see them as an opportunity and learn from them and grow and develop and you know I, from a leadership perspective the authentic element of ferocious warmth is there's a lot of humility as, as I'm growing I'm, and I'm going to make mistakes. What we do with those mistakes is the definer. Yeah. You no. Know? Do we blame and justify around them or do we go, okay, what did we learn or what did I learn? Yeah. Yeah. So picking up on what you said about um, the, the culture being not just that we're nice to one another and we can chat about our kids and, and stuff like that, but actually that we get into that sort of deeper conversation around um teaching practice do you think we can over often overestimate the warmth or the the level of the culture that we that we have based on those kind of indicators so yes we get on and we can sit and chat and we can do this kind of stuff do you think we often overestimate the culture based on those things yeah I do I, I think that um, um, I, th I think it's because we've had a change in approach in education over the last decade yeah. of knowing how important it is for our practice to be deprivatized and to come out of the classroom and to learn from each other. Yeah. And because that shift, you know, 20 years ago, we would have absolutely said it's a good, great culture at this school because of that. You know, we don't have too many, we don't have fights, we don't have arguments. That would have been the litmus test around yeah. we have a good culture. Whereas now we know that actually the test of a good culture in a school is that we have good relationships, but we also have rigour. Yeah. We have rigour around what we're doing and we are growing as individuals and as a collective. So we're building our collective capacity. So I think we've changed. It's almost like the goalposts have changed on what great culture is in education uh, and, and and we need to step into it. Yeah. And that's where I think your, your six-stage model is really helpful to help people identify where they where they are on that um I don't know a ladder I suppose <laughs> yeah the buzz ladder the culture ladder yeah 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 so those those six stages are, are really helpful and I suppose I was curious when I was looking at it is it easier is that the right word um to make shifts say from the first level to the second level or is it easier to go from the fifth to the sixth or is it just yeah. different you know yes um the, the diagnostic would show that there's a really, there's a, it's, instead of being like a bell curve on this, it's like a blip. So the four stages, uh, the six stages being corrosion, then complacency, then confusion, 
then con controversy, clarity, and then committed collaboration. Um, a lot of schools sit in um, just in that middle section, moving from controversy into clarity or confusion into clarity and that's the schools especially that have been doing a lot of work around professional learning cultures and yeah. um uh, so shifting that up i find is when people become more mindful about the human side of this then we start to get some real shifts because people have got basic the basic structures around learning together and coming together and they just need tweaks around things mm -hmm. and they need some real clarity around what strategically are we all trying to shift yeah. let's do it the collective so that middle part moving up so you you said the fifth to the sixth the, the sixth one the committed collaboration in the results of the diagnostic the top three statements are we statements so as a school we work as a learning collective right so the top three are th uh, we statements in all the other levels the top three are i statements so it's a really great example of that collective efficacy is tricky. <laughs> Getting into the collective momentum of this is as a school, we're up here yeah. being the thing that drives us. It's, it's hard. And it's the shift for me between a culture, a really good culture and a great culture is what we're, what we're focusing on there. What we've got to focus on is moving into a culture of real challenging the status quo, innovation, um, questioning, yeah. curiosity and being willing to really push push the box open and you know as a sector we are pretty risk averse yeah yes so that's a really tricky you know you can, when you start moving to that space you've really got to do some really good work around the mindset of innovation the mindset of curiosity and and let go a little bit around the the limiting beliefs we can have around what's my role as a teacher you know, often this is about how do we let go and give more student agency? You know, we've got to have a change of belief around what my role as a teacher is for that to happen. We've yeah. really got to examine a lot more around the embedded DNA things we have in education. And sometimes the things that stop us are also the system can yeah. stop us around that. So the fifth to six is quite tricky. Um, getting off corrosion is also tricky. So that's the bottom one and it needs a whole lot of help. I, I call it the area where we have to have both courage and kindness because yeah. what we need to do is make sure we have leadership culture that is about ferocious warmth. It's about this is where we need to go to, but I have compassion for where people are at yeah. and we're building capacity to build that and the first thing we need to build is be really clear on what we're trying to achieve together, have some minimal, what I call minimum viable practices yeah. around behaviour and to build psychological safety for people to start emerging because mm. any any school that's in corrosion is in huge amounts of fear. Yeah. yeah. So we've got to make it that people start saying that we're, tr we're trusting that, but we also have boundaries about what's professional behaviour and what's not. Um. You said mindset of innovation and curiosity there and I guess one of the areas I probably see um, a lot of that perhaps and I use the word cautiously kind of naturally um, is in the early years perhaps compared to school years so in those early learning kind of centres and settings I think there's a lot more of that naturally occurring curiosity yes. innovation mindset. I agree. I agree. And, and um, 
you know, to bring it also back to adults, I think that we start failing to be curious ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, there's research, lots of research out there, isn't there, around the fact that, you know, curiosity plummets from the age of four down. Um, how do we resurrect it back up? And how do we have that um, that availability or that capacity as adults to not shut it down in students is huge. And again, a lot of people look to the system and say the system actually, you know, c- curriculum, if we're not careful, can just squash curiosity out if it's just about memorising content. Yeah. So I love the innovative schools that are, you know, doing project based where they're getting students to think and query and ask questions and and explore yeah. Um, and how, how do we push against it? We've got a great, uh, the Melbourne University, the Graduate School of Education over here in Australia, they've got a program called the New Metrics of Success and they've been doing a huge project, research project with a whole range of schools around how do we move away from our old, we have an ATAR, you know, um, tertiary assessment ranking to get into university, which is one defined number out of your 12th year, 13th year of schooling. And so they're doing amazing things going, how do we actually shift and look at assessing success far mm-hmm. broader than an exam result? Um, and and so and, and then there's schools that are just really pushing the paradigm around, you know, vertical teaching uh, of where the students are at rather than their age stage. There's, you know, beautiful inquiry programs, big picture schools, so much great stuff going on. How do we not get scared about that stuff but mm. see where in 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 the normal mainstream sort of education we can look to that as yes. being a lot of the skills that the future our students need now but yes. also when they step out of school. Yeah, and I guess that kind of that curiosity perhaps is mirrored with risk as well and that as we go through schooling, almost it feels more risky to try the different stuff um, because there's exams and things like that kind of part of that scenario and that situation. Mm-hmm. And that's where, the, again, the, you know, the, it, it takes system yeah. to, to stop putting so many constraints and boxes yeah. into education that we can't move. Yeah. We can't move. It takes policy change. It takes people who write policies to actually spend time in schools, yeah. spend time actually knowing what's going on and 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 looking at what what our our students really need. This how many students are there or, or adults in the world that actually failed at school, mm. but they've still become successes because they've walked, worked around yeah. worked around the, the mainstream system. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of examples of that. So obviously we've talked so far about kind of teams and schools and and relatively static, I suppose, teams in that sense. Mm -hmm. I'm just interested in how does the buzz translate to settings or situations that are not necessarily those kind of teams and and people who know each other well and and work together on a daily basis? Is there there learning we can take from from that into perhaps more dynamic groupings of people coming together. Yes, absolutely. And I look, I use the buzz as a basis outside of education. Um, I'll also use the buzz in with corporate parts of education as well. So the bureaucracy or, you know, the support services. Um, I also used all of this work very extensively in school networks. Yeah. So, Prince, you know, I, 
principals, heads coming together, for example. Um, I'm working with the Federation of Schools in the UK, uh, where what we've we've done is take the buzz work and they've looked at how do we actually create this connection of deep learning across the federation of schools um and the same things ring true how do we get to psychological safety really quickly how do we make sure our dialogue is one of really open listening and curiosity not judgment mm. um and psychological safety with with heads networks how do we we've got a new head that turns up, you know, to our network. Um, how do we make them feel included and secure as soon as possible? So the same things we would do with staff in our schools, same thing we would do for students in our classrooms. Yeah. Whenever we have mixed stakeholders, whenever we have more dynamic groups, the quicker we can create connection, the yeah. better off we're going to be because we're going to be able to go to the places we need to go to quicker. Yeah. So, you know, much of my work over the years that I've done this work outside education, maybe strategy work or, you know, stakeholder work in community services or health, yeah. I, I, we will always do the connection work as we work because you can't do co-creation around yeah. wicked problems yeah. if you don't connect at a human level. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I meant to ask a question on the last bit and I forgot when we were talking about the six, the six levels, what if you can identify say departments or stages within your school that are across almost all six, do you know, is that a thing where you say, well, actually that group over there or this department here, how does that work? Yeah, you can. Absolutely. People will say, well, we've got pockets, we've got teams that are here, we've got ones that are in corrosion, that sort of thing. I really believe that as a leadership, we need to be able to sit above and go, if we've got that much spread, we actually haven't got a very cohesive culture. Yeah. And so I would say that we're sitting down at maybe complacency or confusion around that. Uh, because one of the things that's a hallmark of moving up the top is this consistency that we all buy into this. Yeah. And so if you've got teams that are sitting up towards the top and you've got teams sitting down the bottom, there needs to be some capacity building around the team leaders. Yeah. There needs to be, you know, them go and observe each other. There yeah. needs to be some really good professional learning for those team leaders around building that buzz, around being ferocious warmth leaders yeah. so that, so that everyone's capacity builds and you start to get a consistency of expectation. Mm-hmm. So whilst it can be really useful and you identify, wow, we're, we, we're a bit all over the place, mm-hmm. that in itself is good intel to say we haven't got a consistent culture. Yeah, yeah. And, and might that be um, something that's mirrored when you do get people coming together from different places? Because I guess if you if you were to take that cluster of schools, you could have then each of those schools is at different stages within their school. So they come with different expectations, assumptions. Yeah, different needs. Yeah. Um, and I think some of the best networks that I've worked with have been really cognizant of that difference and seeing that as a great learning opportunity because what you've got in the room then, just like you have when you've got a mix of expertise in your teachers, is you've got a great learning opportunity to see where someone might be further along the track and see how they did it. Yeah. And you've also, uh, you know, so there's that, again, if we come to an open to learning, it's, you know, what do you want to turn up to those things, you know? If you want to turn up and it's a learning opportunity, you want to be curious, you want to be not defensive, 
Um, some of the, and I'm not too sure where what what the world's like for where you are, Sarah. But I know that um, where I am, the schools have worked really hard over the years to get much better and more open at sharing data, yeah. at sharing results, at sharing where they're working and where it's not working, and then forming perhaps triads of schools to really deeply dig into things and see where they can make a difference. Yeah. And um, I think you've got to. It comes comes back to that good old mindset why mm -hmm. am I walking as a leader why am I walking into this space why am I bringing my school into this mixed space if it's not to deeply be open to stuff then I'm probably wasting my time yeah yeah um and if you could dial all this back to to one thing I'd be probably calm <laughs> <laughs> but you know if there was one thing that you think actually over over all the work you've done and all over the with the schools that you've worked with is there one thing that kind of just comes up all the time that actually we all probably need to be mindful of and intentional about more than we already are is there one yeah thing? I, I think it comes back for me to ferocious warmth about the the need to be able to get really good at creating clarity with empathy yeah because we have to be courageous often around what's expected and having clarity around that but to do that with compassion and empathy yeah mean that we do that balance of helping people to stretch but mm -hmm. also supporting people to stretch as well and yeah. I think sometimes when we stuff that up <laughs> we're missing one or the other we're either so empathetic that we don't get shift because we don't expect people to shift yeah. um or we push people so hard but we don't actually see them and value them and show the empathy around the struggle that they might be in um so yeah empathy courage and kindness you know that head and heart coming together yeah. and I wonder just as we're as you're reflecting on that I wonder if that's almost like the heart of feedback as well because I guess yeah, for sure feedback is what we find difficult to do often because we want to be nice and supportive but sometimes we're so nice and supportive we're just not at all clear what the what the thing is and therefore like what to do about it yeah, and it's a the classic I was speaking to lots of people today it seems like it was a day for it where people have said I absolutely know um, that I'm really compassionate but I need to build the clarity and the expectation. So from it, our ability to have ferocious warmth conversations is the, it's a game changer because what it says to people is I've got you. Yeah. But I also know that our work together is to continue to grow together. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's, and, and feedback conversations have, should always be about that. It should always be about how are we coming yeah. together as a partnership around this yeah. Um, to be able to help you grow I always reckon we should chuck feedback out in the bin the word and just say let's have a growth let's let's call them growth conversations yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of baggage around the word feedback <laughs> there is and, and probably a lot of it is assumed that it's criticism as well yeah absolutely and then there's an emotional attachment to that as well that often creates yep. the barrier to engaging with what the feedback actually is that's yeah. it. I had a group yesterday say, yep, they wanted to work on constructive feedback, uh, constructive criticism. And I said, excellent. I know what you're saying in context, but I would really love to challenge you about maybe even getting rid of those words because of the innate belief set that sits that yeah. the word criticism is about me not being good enough. Yeah. Yes. And so how do we change it into something that is about us? me learning or me growing or me just understanding what's working and what's not and we take away the baggage of negative 
you know, negative or positive. Yeah. You know. And even the words good enough, usually when we hear good enough, we think, well, that's not very good then. That's it. That's it. That's it. We're We're complex beings, aren't we? I was going to say, exactly those words were about to come out of my mouth. We are complex beings. And the language around it kind of almost makes us more complex, I think, sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tracy, thank you uh, once again. I love when we get the opportunity to, to come back and have second and third conversations with people that we speak to on changing conversations because it always allows us to get um, into it a little bit quicker and also to go a little bit deeper with it and find those kind of connections between things. So thank you uh, once again for your time and your your insight and wisdom as well. You're welcome, Sarah. I always love having a conversation with you and uh, I know you get to see so many different perspectives so it's really good to tease things out with you um, any questions so thank you and thanks to all the listeners it's been great to have a have a little chat thank you for listening folks we really value you taking the time and space to join us and we hope that you take something positive from it we'd love to hear your reflections so please get involved via twitter or contact us directly by email Thanks again, stay safe and take good care.